1: Hey, we used to just ask you for money because we need money, and then we would just give you the same podcast for free, but we figured out a way to give you something good in exchange for your money, and that is ad-free versions of this podcast for five bucks Canadian a month. Just click the link in your show notes, and bloop, it installs a premium CanadaLand golden podcast feed right on your podcatcher, or go to CanadaLandShow.com slash join. Support from you is how we do this. Thank you. I think most Canadians are sympathetic to indigenous people. We know this country's history, you know, broad strokes. And I think it's kind of acknowledged that indigenous people got a raw deal and we feel bad about that. So yeah, Canadians are open to making things right. Even land claims. A lot of people are ready to try to work it all out. I mean, it would be nice to not have to always feel so guilty about this stuff. But I also think that most Canadians' sympathy ends when our lives get disrupted. I mean, what a shame. You had a legitimate argument. But when you start blocking roads and railways, you've basically lost all legitimacy. I mean, first of all, you're in our way. And second of all, you're scaring the shit out of us. I mean, show Canadians pictures of Indigenous men at blockades with bandanas over their faces, strange flags waving behind them, Or even worse, armed Indigenous people. And a lot of Canadians are going to agree. It's time to send in the police. I mean, congratulations. You got our attention, but you've lost our sympathy. Problem is, Canadians don't really pay attention to peaceful, non-disruptive protests. I'm including myself in that. I mean, even though Wet'suwet'en was the biggest story in Canada last winter, I was more or less oblivious to the fact that a very similar standoff has been brewing right here in Ontario for weeks. And it was not the peaceful protest that ultimately got my attention. It was the fact that Premier Doug Ford talked
2: about it. Last question comes from Randy Rath from CHCH TV. Please go ahead. Hi, Premier. Hi, Randy, how you doing? Good, thanks. Um, Yesterday in Caledonia, the OPP tried to enforce a court order removing protesters from a housing development. The police action failed, and the results are an ongoing demonstration on Argyle Street. What do you make of this situation, and what do you think should be done to try to resolve it? Well, you know something, I'm just so disappointed when I heard this again. We have a phenomenal, myself, and I give all the credit to, to Minister Rickford, have a phenomenal relationship with Chief of Archibald. And, and all the chiefs that I met, and they're, they're such an incredible community. And you, you get a you get a few of them out there that, that want to do these things. And what really is so disturbing, and the people at, at home listening to this will will appreciate this. These people put their whole life savings to buy a home, and and then someone comes in and just says, "I'm I'm taking over." It's just wrong. There's one country, one law. Respect each other. And it, when the indigenous communities or, or Roseanne or anyone asks me for something, I say, they, you know, they say jump, I say, oh, hi. As soon as they ask for something, bang, I'm on it within a second. And I have a great deal of respect for these communities right across the province. We're there to support them and help them. But there has to be a two-way street here. You know, you just can't go in and just take over people's uh, future homes. It's wrong. And then, when the police come, this this is where the people at home are really going to, They get an outhouse, toss it over onto from a bridge onto a police car. Then they start throwing rocks at the police car. Like enough is enough. You know, I'm just losing my patience. I can't direct the police, and I won't direct the police. But people have to obey the rules. I don't care where you come from, you know, what your race, creed, color, whatever. We have one country, one rule, and that is it. Simple. Respect each other. Because I have a tremendous amount of respect for the indigenous community and there is there's just a few. A couple dozen uncalled for. It is unacceptable. I better stop there. Um, Premier, are you afraid that this situation is going to escalate? As you say, there was rock throwing both at the police and at the fire department um, responding to things burning. The police had to, uh, or the police responded, firing rubber bullets. Uh, it's just the whole intensity and level of this thing concerning it is it's this is not ontario that's not canada you don't start throwing rocks you don't start tossing things this is about living together working together when the indigenous community and believe me 99.99% are just phenomenal people absolutely phenomenal and i love them and they know i do and we get along phenomenal you get a couple bad apples that want to create problems and <laughs> there's an issue. I'm open. Sit down, talk to me. What's the issue? I'm always there for you. I always support you. Anything you need, like I said before, instantly, we we get it done for you. So it has to be give and take. And 99.99%, I keep wanting to emphasize that, are phenomenal people. So I better wrap up there.
0: Thank you, everyone.
2: Thank you.
1: So there you go. Everything he just said could have been describing a dozen different land claim standoffs over the years. Happens to be about one that's going on right now. Let me fill in the blanks. The site is on the edge of Caledonia, where a very similar drama played out in 2006. The land was sold by the county to developers in 2015. The reserve it sits next to is Six Nations of the Grand River, the most populated reserve in Canada. The encampment where protesters have been blocking construction, was cleared out by provincial cops who are acting on a court injunction on August 5th. The protesters came right back the next day. The cops could raid it again at any moment. The pressure is building. The whole thing could fizzle out, or it could escalate. We have seen this play out many times before, and we've heard it told many times, usually from the perspective of guys like me or Doug Ford. Today, we're going to hear about this one from a different perspective. From Canada Land contributors, Carl Dockstatter and Sean Vanderklis, hosts of the radio show and podcast, One Dish, One Mic. Carl and Sean went to the site of the occupation last week, a site that the development company, Foxgate, calls Mackenzie Meadows. The Six Nations protesters call it 1492 Land Back Lane wait for it. This episode is brought to you by Christine Nicole Funk, Erica Kasupinen, Gary Mooney, Hamza M., Kelly McWilliam, Jen Jubinville, Joshua Eric Tompke, and Kat
0: Hi, my name is Kat, and I support Canada Land because we need media criticism in Canada. We need biases exposed. We need the stories that no one else wants to tell told, and we need them told well. As a progressive voting resident of Alberta especially, we need critical and well-researched journalism to hold politicians of all parties accountable. I love listening to oppo and hearing strong and passionate opinions and counter-arguments from smart and self-assured women. As for Jesse, I appreciate his passion, but I could recite his biases and favorite hills to die on in my sleep at this point. Shortcuts might be his show, but I want to hear more from his guests and less of him telling us what he thinks his guests are trying to say. Just saying, thanks for everything you do, Canada Land.
1: This episode is brought to you by Douglas, a mattress trusted by more than 200,000 Canadians from coast to coast to coast. Trust is important. There are a lot of mattress lies out there, a lot of mattress liars. Canadians prefer, and it comes with a 365-night trial and a 20-year warranty. What more can I tell you? Douglas is giving our listeners a free sleep bundle with each mattress purchase. Get the sheets, pillows, mattress, and pillow protectors free with your Douglas purchase today. Visit douglas.ca CanadaLand to claim this offer. This episode is sponsored by BetterHelp. Uh, it's amazing the things that we tell ourselves to talk ourselves out of getting help. Sean, hello. How are you doing, Jesse? I'm okay. Carl, good to have you back as well.
3: Hey, Jesse. Thanks for having me on your show today.
1: Guys, what is 1492 Land Back Lane?
3: 1492 Land Back Lane is where land defenders from Six Nations went and occupied a territory that Lozani Homes and other, other developers were, were seeking to develop in the Caledonia area in Haldeman County. It's an area that is directly adjacent to... Six Nations territory that was promised to the Six Nations people all the way back in in pre-Confederate times and a promise that, that was never properly fulfilled, it has gotten to a point where the situation has has escalated and police tried to enforce an injunction. They successfully arrested nine people who turned around and were replaced by, by land reclaimers that, that took back 1492 land back lane. They're in about four weeks now of a stalemate of no resolution between what the developer is hoping will happen to the land, what the province wants to happen to the land, and what the people of Six Nations are hoping will happen to the land.
4: Six Nations itself is the largest reserve in Canada. There's 27,000 members who are registered as described in the Indian Act. Now, should...
3: Indigenous people and First Nations be given the authority to control their own membership, that number would increase tenfold. The other thing is framing it as a reserve is is a little bit tricky. It's it's Canada that called it a reserve. We've always referred to ourselves as nations, as a confederacy. So they were promised in the Haldeman Proclamation that, that they were going to get territory six miles deep or ten kilometers deep on either side of the Grand River from, from the mouth to the head. And slowly, over time, squatters would take over that territory. People would move in. There, uh, they would put 99-year leases and then the lease would come up and the six nations people go to collect and the government would have a different reason every time for for eventually just bit by bit by bit dwindling this six nations land down to the size of a postage stamp and now fast forward to 2020 where we're in the very real situation that there are a lot of people that that live in six nations there are a lot of people that want to live in six nations there's no place to go and then the kicker is that Caledonians are building houses literally surrounding surrounding Six Nations territories. So not only is there no place to go now, but once these subdivisions get built, there's not going to be any place for these people to go. So some people had had enough, and uh, they moved into what was once Mackenzie Meadows and, and has now been reclaimed as 1492 Land Back Lane. Help me just
1: uh, conceptualize this. Uh, you've been there many times, and I know that you recently went there with uh, with our producer, Kasia Mihailovic, to record some of the people who are there, what does it look like?
3: It, it looks like a construction site, uh, especially initially when it just looked like what was once a beautiful farm, like all the farms that are that are in and around Caledonia. It's a beautiful rural area. But this particular area looks like somebody took all of the natural greenery and just scraped it into, into a giant mountain at the back of the property. Scattered throughout the property are several tents where people are living. And then all throughout are, are different people interacting and, and socializing. Every time we've gone back, they, they've added something new, whether it's more tents, the temporary cookhouse that they added markers for the for the games of the golf that they're playing and and most recently they've built a a kitchenette to add to the area
1: so if i understand this uh the protesters uh i know that self-identify as as land defenders They, they basically set up a permanent camp
4: yeah the core group of land defenders uh initially committed to staying there 24 hours a day until this was resolved um since then since the uh injunction issue was ordered and the O.P. rated it. it, it's drawn up significant amounts of community support. And that community support translates to people being there all the time, whether it's four hours a day to drop off food, to hang out, to visit, to eat dinner, as well as uh, the remaining core community group who is living there 24 hours a day, seven days a week.
1: What do the uh, demonstrators themselves make of this characterization of them as being uh, un- unlawful, uh, potentially even violent? unpeaceful people
4: the funny thing is is that they they knew that they were going to be portrayed as violent people and they've done their due diligence to ensure that this doesn't happen
3: so micah who is one of the spokespeople for 1492 land back lane actually addressed this exact point directly when
0: we spoke with her uh my name is micah from six nations so we came in like late a sunday night um so we would be here and on the land before like like, because the next day is Monday and they're coming into work. So, we purposely uh, chose to do it that way so there wouldn't be a confrontation and that it wouldn't be like people, you know, scared because a bunch of Indians are driving in. Yeah. So, so then if we were already here, then we would merely have to say, you know, you're not, you're not working anymore. And I know, so I understand, like, not that, not that they're removed from each other, but I think people don't realize. The reaction of the barricades and the the blocking of the railroads and all that stuff was like, it was a response directly to the violence that was inflicted while the raids happened, right? So that was never our purpose, that was never our goal. And like, I mean, beautifully the community came out to support us in such a way and show, show like their support for us. And like everybody here is like so absolutely grateful.
1: What violence is Micah referring to there? I mean, uh, we hear her saying that, that they went to some uh, planning and very explicitly were trying to avoid confrontation. What was this violent confrontation that she's talking about?
4: So when the OPP raided the 1492 land back lane, they did so with guns. One of the gentlemen who was arrested and in charge that day has to be in his early 60s, maybe late 50s. They they Five of them took him down, beat him up a little bit, when he was released from prison, he came back with uh, Mark's all over his face, cuts and bruises all over his, his elbows and his knees. Uh, and then, they, again, they, they proceeded to
3: shoot people with rubber bullets. We also spoke with Skylar Williams, who is another one of the media's spokespeople and somebody that's been giving daily updates on 1492 Land Back Lane.
5: And when the cops came in, like that was, uh, it, it kind of turned things for a bit. It turned things uh, really ugly for a while uh because it was people were scared like one of our one of my brothers is not here right now that should be here because he was here from day one and it was it was really hard for him to you know hear bullets whizzing past your head rubber bullets or otherwise we didn't know at the time whether they were rubber bullets or not but like uh to hear those things go whizzing by your ears is a is a hard thing to to deal with and can you describe
3: some more of the tactics that the police use. They say, like they say, they fired one one bullet. All the media is saying they fired one rubber bullet.
5: Uh, yeah, there was there was at least three. Um, there was at least three bullets, uh, rubber bullets that were fired at us. Uh, one of the guys got tasered in the head and in the neck. Uh, he had to go for some medical attention afterwards. Uh, another guy got his face. He's here right now. He's got these big cuts on his face and ear and neck. Uh, from you know, cops laying on the back of his laying on the back of his head with his face in the in the concrete in the pavement.
3: I was in the territory the day that this happened and I happened to be at the, the Cayuga OPP station when when people were being released from custody and, and I ran into one of the gentlemen who had had blood on both of his elbows his entire body was was caked in mud he had mud caked into his hair another person I talked to was was a younger person and this younger person was describing to me the realization that that this was their first criminal charge, that they were going to have a criminal record out of it, and and the reality that that the police had turned the tables on them and could could use this now to leverage them, and it would forever change their life. And I've seen that look in young people's eyes before when they realize that, that once you get a criminal record, everything changes. And I could just see his world crumbling around him as, as the realization was setting in that he was just trying to do a good thing, and now he's going to have to spend a significant amount of time in court.
1: But I heard Micah talk about actually, like, blocking roads and things like that. How did that end up happening?
3: That was a direct response to the raid
4: itself. So one of the things that we need to be crystal clear on is, is that 1492 Land Back Lane is its own standalone land reclamation site. After the raid itself, members of Six Nations community then set up additional blockades to protect their community.
5: Fucking go! Yeah. Oh. Wow!
0: So this road was open about five minutes ago. Now this bypass, also known as the Highway 6 bypass, is shut down. It's empty.
4: So the OPP were attempting to make their way onto the reserve itself, and members of the community said, you know what, this is unacceptable. This is sovereign land. You are not welcome here. And they were actually successful in pushing them back. Um, at, on top of that, there, were, uh, there was a train blockade for the day itself, and they also blocked off uh, Highway 6.
0: When the people that got arrested were got out of jail, those the those of us that were here with Land Back, we, again, same way as we, we were the first day, we just drove back onto site. Everything was still here, right? So we just sat back down in the chairs and lit the fire back up, and we've been continuing on. And so um, in regards to the ongoing barricades, again, that's like the community support um, in solidarity with us just because they want to know we're safe from the OPP. So this is
1: reminding me of Wet'suwet'en, where the more the RCMP cracked down, the more we saw solidarity actions across the country.
4: Yeah, exactly. And that's exactly what's happened since then. uh, We believe that the Wet'suwet'en people have since blocked off railways in support of what's happening in Caledonia.
1: And and what would be the desired outcome for for the encampment for this action? What, 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 What do they want the developers to do?
4: They want them to stop developing. They essentially want the land back. Um, Since the late 1970s, the people of Six Nations have submitted 29 land claims to the federal government and the provincial government. And within that time period, only one has been addressed. And it wasn't even addressed properly. This is a response to the mechanisms that are in place that are forced upon indigenous people.
1: It it, it kind of floored me that after... Wet'suwet'en became the biggest story in Canada that something like this could be going on for like, what is it? It's third or fourth week and for it to get as little media coverage as it has. I know that you've both been active and involved in this, uh, both as participants and as journalists. What do you make of
4: the media coverage so far or lack thereof? What we're seeing from our end is that there's an inability or unwillingness for them to make a, any meaningful attempt to go on to reserve or to the reclamation site itself. There's been no attempt to speak with people who are, who are actively participating in the reclamation site itself. And, and that's problematic because they're, they're covering a story. So this is being framed in media and in the public perception from the perspective of developers or from the perspective of onlookers looking in. I am a journalist. I get paid by Torstar to report on issues. I know the restraints that exist. I know that we have deadlines. But part of being a good journalist is, is hearing sides and perspectives from different people. And what's happening now is that journalists, again, are not making, the, making an, a meaningful attempt to get in contact with people. What they're doing is they're sending letters off to the band council and speaking to them. Because that's convenient. It it takes me two seconds to send off an email. But what really matters and what's really important is making that connection. Carl and I have been there since day one. We literally drove back or I literally drove back at at seven o'clock at night to cover the after effects of that uh, raid that happened that day.
3: I mean, that's our, our angle is that Sean and I are on, like, we're boots on the ground and we're there. We're, we're declaring our bias, by the way. Like, every Sunday when we go on the radio, we talk about the fact that, that I'm a direct stakeholder. Like, I'm, I'm Oneida of the Thames. And while that community is separate from, from the Six Nations people, we're declaring it. So I, I think that's relevant. I think that's why so many people from other media outlets are, are reaching out to us.
1: Well, you know, we share a conception of, like, just uh, tell people who you are and where you're coming from, and you can still tell the story. It doesn't mean you can't tell the story. It just means you have to be transparent and honest, and uh, we're on the same page with that. I want to ask you to do something that I think is going to be uncomfortable. I want you to pretend that you're the developer, and from your perspective, all of that history is not your problem or your fault. Uh, What the Canadian government, what the province promised uh, in the past, that's not your doing. You've put work and investment and lobbying into this. You've been at this for years. You've sunk millions into it. You stand to make a fortune if this goes forward. And you can look back on a series of precedents. Uh, These kinds of standoffs, as we keep saying, have happened again and again and again throughout Canadian history. And uh, I want to ask you to strategize from that perspective. People can't stay in that encampment forever. If, if it was your goal to push this development through, would you wait this out? Would you push back strong and ask the cops to to, to push back
4: harder? How, 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 how would you proceed with this? Well, the developer in this case was very strategic when doing the negotiations. A part of it included a, a lump sum of money to be paid back should an event like this happen. Another significant portion of it was that because 1492 land back land is happening, they have to condemn this, the elected council. So the developers themselves anticipated this. They saw what happened in 2006 and they then put this in writing. And unfortunately, the elected council conceded. So regardless of this going through or not, the, the developer is going to get their money back. What are the odds of this actually
3: being settled through the courts? We asked Micah, one of the spokespeople at the camp, what she thought about the court process.
0: I know it's seen like in some circles is like over the top or like disruptive um, to be doing things like this. But like it's absolutely necessary because our like indigenous battles will never be won in the courts. Never, ever will they be won in the courts. It always comes on the land. It always comes from feet on the ground, you know, hearts beside each other, hands held together. That's where our wins come from. And I just absolutely believe that.
1: That's, uh, I, I know that's intended as a kind of an inspirational thought, but it also triggers some, some, some concern because on the ground is also where things can go the other way. I think that this sometimes does end with development getting so frustrated for so long that ultimately it just sort of dissolves. But this also can end a different way. This can end in bloodshed, and it has in the past.
3: I'm not, I'm not sure that that's a realistic outcome for, for Canada. The, the Six Nations people, specifically of all of the hundreds of First Nations people in, in Canada, have really stuck to their guns when it comes to sovereignty. I'm, I'm telling you right now, Jesse, that I'm, I'm not a Canadian citizen. I was born in Buffalo. I'm not an American citizen. The, the, I'm from the Oneida Nation, and that is something that firmly exists outside of the body politic of Canada. So if Canada is going to resolve this with, with violence— then we saw how that went in Oka, when when the people of Gunasadage of were effectively sieged. Canada is, is very mindful of its reputation. This, I think, would effectively destroy any credibility they have on the world stage. So imagine how, how this is going to look on a prime minister who originally got elected on his intent for meaningful nation-to-nation reconciliation. You can just shred that if this ends in violence.
1: Do you believe that? Because uh, the the Canadian public, I think, was ultimately cheering on our leaders to get tougher and get more violent in the face of of protests, uh, historically and as recently as Wet'suwet'en, that had widespread support to just uh, sh- shut it down. Has something changed so significantly that that it's just such a bad look and it's so aberrant to the way we're trying to present ourselves internationally that the uh, the prospect of that will will shut it down before it even happens.
3: It's easy for me to click a button to say that I don't uh, that I do or don't like a reclamation action that's happening. But the difference is with indigenous people, their entire way of life is is under threat in so many communities and in Haudenosaunee territories, our way of life has been under threat to the degree where I, I think that our willingness to defend this is, is effectively unlimited. A little bit of police action firm the resolve of Indigenous people to resist. So imagine what a lot of police action is going to do.
1: One thing that seems to keep coming up again and again is this question of who actually represents these communities. And uh, companies and governments seem to have a lot of success dealing with ban councils and then finding the legitimacy mm-hmm. of those band councils uh, contested by actual people that those councils are supposed to represent. Are we just going to keep going through this again and again until we resolve this question of representation?
3: Well, I I think the people of six nations are a little more unified than, than people give them credit for. Again, to criticize the media, any disunity in six nations tends to be amplified, but on this particular issue, there there's a lot of unity. Quite simply, the people of six nations want some place to live.
5: All of us at Land Back Camp here have said over and over and over again. Like, I don't, I, I just, I don't care anymore about the the hate and the division. And like, it's taken us a hundred years to get to this point. And so if it takes us a hundred years to be able to heal and grow, do the things that we need to do as a community, then that's what it's gonna take. But there isn't going to be development rolling up on our doorstep in the meantime. Because if we're gonna allow for that development to keep on happening, then, you know, my kids, my grandkids, aren't going to have anything to even argue over.
4: The problem is, is in Canada, they have forced upon a foreign system to First Nations communities. So it dates back to the 1920s. They literally went in with gun in hand and removed the hereditary chiefs and the Haudenosaunee Confederacy from power and then imposed a system upon them that says, this is how your community is going to be governed. You're going to govern your community in in this manner, in the manner that we see fit. In Six Nations, their, their, their democracy, their Confederacy chiefs themselves have, have existed for the last 10,000 years. They've been so fundamentally successful that parts of the United States uh, Constitution and parts of the distributions of powers that exist within this United States is based on the structure of the Haudenosaunee people. So the issue is, is that the government has put in place a system that the people themselves do not recognize. 4.5% of the population voted in their last uh, election for chief and council.
1: One thing I can certainly agree with if you've got less than 5% voter turnout, you do not have a functional democracy.
3: That's that's fair. Uh, but I mean further to that, the whole notion of representative democracy is not is not something that that plays well in Shining communities. We we have a participatory form of democracy and that's exactly what land back lane is is people have actively decided what they're going to do and what they want their territory to look like and that honestly i think is something that canada could benefit from a little bit more again it's it's easy to click a button or to show up and, and to tick a box on any given day but what are you doing on the days weeks months and years in between elections to continuously renew your democracy and to renew your values how do we know what the values of canadians are when they're so passively involved in their democratic process
1: and I wonder what happens when you kind of put, uh, you know, in one form or another, a referendum to the Canadian public, uh, armed conflict on one side, giving land back on the other. Uh, I'm not sure which they'd vote for.
4: And that, that's, the, that's part of the problem, is, is that in order for us to coexist, both sides have to be willing to come together and make those sacrifices. The very concept of the township of Caledonia is on a concession on the part of the people of Six Nations. The reason the town exists dates back to the 1830s, and and Six Nations then said that, yes, we will lease this land to you for a period of 23 years, with the possibility of renewal and extension in seven-year intervals. And since then, they've just stayed. Like, Six Nations, the problem is that Indigenous people continuously make these concessions, and Canadians continuously take.
1: It seems to me that for one group of people, it's very important for indigenous people to assert uh, you know, correctly that they are the same people who those promises were made to. And I think it's very important for Caledonians and, and Canadians to believe that they are not the same people who made those promises. Those are some other people in history. That's not me.
4: And that's part of the problem is that we have fundamentally been framed in, in mainstream media as a people of the past
3: but I, I'm not ready to give up on on Canadians yet. I mean, I I have some pretty strong feelings about people who oppose these things but I've also met people that educate themselves on on the issues and people that, that understand like if, if you just walked a mile or six miles in the shoes of the people from, from Six Nations you can actually see where they're coming from because we're, we're talking about police we're talking about violence we're talking about land back we're talking about reclamation and, and all these flashy terms but all we really want is the right to continue our way of life and we have a very consistent value set that we've been practicing for 10,000 years I think Canadian Canadians want the same things for themselves. So sooner or later, they're going to come over to the fact that being a Canadian is supposed to be about something. If this gets resolved in violence and you know some populist push to crush the revolution, I mean, is that what Canadians really want to be about? Because at some point, people are going to wake up the morning after and realize that, that they may not have pulled the trigger themselves, but they allowed this to happen. And I can't see Canadians wanting to define themselves with that value set. Not any of the good ones that, that I talk to anyways.
1: What do people at 1492 Landback Lane say they are
3: prepared to do? We I mean we've asked that question directly.
0: Uh well I think having an injunction on us uh we're like fearful like 24/7 <laughs> you know. We're under like constant you know threat of invasion. So that's that's a little bit nerve-wracking, but I think everybody here is committed to the cause and uh, we just persevere through that and stand strong.
5: Uh, a cop on the very first day that we were here, uh, come and asked me how long we had planned on being here, and uh, I told him that very first day that like you know our people have been here for ten thousand years and we're planning on being here for ten thousand more. They're
4: willing to go through whatever the Canadian government is willing to put them through, and, that, and that's really it. If it's as simple as them staying there until this gets resolved or doesn't get resolved fair if it's as complicated as 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 the police coming in and enforcing three other injunctions they're willing to go through that process as well if it's them getting their faces pushed in the mud or rubber bullets shot at them they have all made a clear and conscious uh, decision to participate at this because protecting this land means securing it for further generation
1: sean and carl thank you
3: thank you
0: thank you jesse
1: Hey, that's your Canada Land. Uh, support it, please, with five bucks a month Canadian by clicking on the link in the show notes or go to canadalandshow.com slash join. Or email me at jesse at Show.com and uh, I'll read it. We're on Twitter at Canada Land. Our website is canadalandshow.com where you can sign up for our weekly newsletter as tens of thousands of people have done. Uh, and this is a wonderful thing. If you don't happen to listen to everything that we put out every week and read all of our news stories, We put out a handy newsletter at the end of each week, which is also funny and also contains links to stuff that has nothing to do with us that our staff selects. Uh, It's a really good newsletter. Go check it out at canadalandshow.com. This episode was reported by Sean Vanderklis and Carl Dockstatter. You can catch their show One Dish, One Mic uh, in its podcast form if you're curious about that great show. Special thanks to Trevor Twining for production help. Kasia Mihailovic and Rosalind Kafour are the senior producers of Canada Land. Our managing editor is Andrea Schmidt. Syndication is handled by CFUV, 101.9 FM in Victoria. Visit them online at cfuv.ca. If you like Canada land, support it.
2: Hey folks, I'm Mark Maron from the WTF podcast. And this episode is brought to you by Kleenex Ultrasoft
3: Tissues